Welcome back, everyone, to Your Life, God's Word, where we take the principles found in Scripture and we apply them to our everyday lives, those areas that are most important, faith, family, and community. All right, welcome back, everybody. We are here with another episode and yet another change in the visual because we're still trying to get the studio <laughs> set like I like it. Um, I think eventually we'll just have to upgrade and like do a have a decent camera. Um, but you know, I put way more I think into the sound just because the audio really to me makes the the most. Uh, impact when it comes to as well, especially when we're, I mean, if you're just listening on Spotify, it's the only impact because there is no uh, video component, <laughs> but um, it's, it's coming together nicely. It really is. I love this background still. Um, so now we're trying to figure out like, like lighting and uh, all that stuff. Um, good times. Good, good, good times. Uh, so we are kicking through some of these scriptures that talk about um, the the systems of the world and how they sort of interact uh, within the within the greater framework of the kingdom of God and if you have been uh, listening you're kind of up to speed and if you have not I highly encourage you to go back and at least start watching the podcast from uh, when I started the uh, the beast series. Uh, most of these are, you know, the beast and this or the beast, you know, in the kingdom. And I think that might've been the first one, but, uh, we're talking about how the, the scriptures show and describe these beasts 
that we see in places like Daniel and Revelation as a sort of a geopolitical system within the um, within the world, and how that if we translate that into modern uh, culture, especially Western culture, these uh, some of these components of the culture are broken up into different factions. So in like ancient Babylon, for instance, right, you didn't have the media, entertainment, politics, education, uh, you know, as disjointed, or when I say disjointed, I mean at least like distinct from the others, even though we know there's a lot of collaboration and impact uh, within these on one another. Uh, you had like the king and all of his ministries or ministers or whatever, um, provincial leaders, things like that, and and basically it all flowed from the quote unquote the government or the or the political structure. So now we have uh, what some people refer to as like the seven mountains of culture and things like that, and that that fits into this, um, but it's not necessary uh, necessarily for for this. But you've got things like education, right? Government slash politics. You've got family. You've got uh, the media, and um, on and on and on. And so these greatly impact our lives. They greatly impact the world, uh, especially the world around us that are whatever government you happen to be uh, under. And uh, this is why we believe the church is supposed to have a major impact in all of these uh, institutions. The church should be the influencer uh, in politics, in government. The church should be the, uh, the flagship should be the thing that people are um, aspiring to, looking to for, um, you know, spiritual guidance, moral guidance, and uh, our laws should be built off of the scriptures. They should be built off of uh, the Judeo-Christian um, way of thinking and doing. And again, I'm, I'm making claims here. Happy to have somebody tell me that's not correct. It shouldn't be that way. Uh, happy to have a discussion on why you think it should be something different. But I think, uh, hmm, I think over time, over centuries and millennia of mankind, we're seeing that really the best cultures have generally had a Judeo-Christian um, background underpinning uh, foundation. And again, right, I'm happy to discuss that with somebody, but I mean, just look around, right? And uh, you see that... I don't know, best best combination of things like uh, personal freedom, but still having government, still having um, uh, a society that, 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 that works, um, that generates what I would call, say, wealth and influence without um, the need for war and conquest. I mean, you just look around and... I'm not saying the United States and Western culture does it perfectly because we certainly get a lot wrong and there's a lot going on on the earth today that is actually uh, problematic and it's because of a, um, a, a Western uh, sort of liberal ideology that has taken over. So it's kind of like Western culture, but that's detethering from the Judeo-Christian um, foundation. And that's a lot of the problem in the world right now. But if you have these things kind of married together, that Judeo-Christian, right, Judaism and Christianity, Judeo-Christian um, foundation, then I think you have a, you have a great combination. And uh, today we're going to be talking a little bit about um, some specific scriptural contexts 
that lay out what we talked about last time, which is, and we built the case for, uh, there's going to be a spiritual force behind this governmental, political, educational, you know, these quote-unquote beasts that arise, there's going to be a spiritual force behind it. Now, I would say it's not a beast if it's uh, a godly force, if it's if it's built on Judeo-Christian principles, but it becomes a beast when it is built on the other kingdom because there are only two kingdoms to choose from. Ultimately, if something is really kingdom, if it's a kingdom of mankind, a kingdom of men, uh, and not submitted to the will of God, not submitted to, as I've been saying, a foundation of Judeo-Christian principles, then it is a kingdom of Satan, because there really are only two spiritual sides, two spiritual forces. Um, and you, we, can, we can stick our heads in the sand and try to be like, oh no, we're neutral, or you know, I don't believe in all that junk. It, it's, uh, it's coming to bear right now, I would say. And we see that in our culture and in our society when we detether from um, the Judeo-Christian foundation. We see uh, where we're headed. <laughs> we see. <laughs> wow, uh, I'm saying uh and um a lot. I'm trying to, I'm just by picking up on that. Y'all picking up on that? I'm like usually try not to say that a lot. I, I had a, a English class in college, and one of the effective speaking and one of the English classes, and, and they were huge on not filling time not filling a speech, not filling that gap of like, there's some silence with an uh, an um. And so I'm usually trying not to do that, but I've just noticed I've said um like a million times. And I don't know if it's because I'm just thinking through the different <laughs> things I may not like about, man, this the lighting or whatever. I've got all these things going through my head while I'm also trying to actually do a podcast. So just a little little insight into what's going on in my crazy brain. Anyway, so we've built the case. We've gone through some scripture. I believe there is a strong case to be made that, uh, I did it again, see, that we, we must recognize there will always be some kind of spiritual underpinning, some spiritual foundation on which kingdoms of men are built, and we need to choose which kingdom it will be. I believe the church should align with God, align with his kingdom, align with his principles, and we should impact our society. We should not separate, and we're over here in a cave, and we're just like, oh, Jesus, come rescue us, and let this let this world just, just go to hell in a handbasket. But instead, we should be influencing the world around us. And the way we're going to do that is through the church primarily and through all of these institutions of culture. So I think it's awesome to have a music industry that is truly Christ-based. I would say that there are many artists that, uh, for whatever reason, they, you know, I could guess motives, and I could see enough evidence that certainly gives me some justification for believing certain motives, but some of these so-called Christian artists that when you start, when they start getting a little bit of popularity, a little bit of money, a little bit of clout, 
all of a sudden they're not so Christian. Uh, when we had the uh, Grammys a uh, month or so ago, I remember Kirk Franklin came out and like, did this video and he was going to talk about it. And everybody, I think probably everybody that tuned into his his little podcast or video or whatever was wanting to to see what his thoughts might be on you know some of these Christian groups, you know, air quote Christians, Christian groups going to this thing and just participating and sort of being okay with a satanic display happening and then getting up on stage and receiving awards and saying nothing about what just happened and all that kind of thing. And Kerr Franklin was like, oh, I'm not going to get into all that. I'm going to talk about all this other stuff over here. Well, what kind of squish is that? <laughs> what kind of Christianity, I say this often, what kind of Christianity do we have in the world, right? In, in the Bible, Jesus said people are going to hate you. We see the book of Acts, the only place that we see the church actually being lived out, actually acting, the actual actions of the church in the book of Acts. And you, you see constant, either great revival or there's riots. There's people hating them and throwing them out of the city and all this stuff. Well, why would anybody uh, hate or come against a church that's super permissive, just preaches quote-unquote love, which is actually false love and a false gospel, and just makes people feel good about themselves? And, and also, maybe you should go to church on Sunday. Well, you know, churches that that really a lot of these churches, it's amazing. Certain cultural uh, types of capture of the church. So there's certain segments of Christianity and churches and communities that the church is just a reflection of the culture plus a little bit of Jesus. Pastors get up, ministers get up, and they sound like very almost nothing more than political shills or a mouthpiece of a certain administration. And then, all right, let's sing a song about Jesus. And and they accept all these evils in the, in the world um, just openly, outrageously, flamboyantly against God. And they just kind of accept it and just integrate and just sort of, I mean, it's, it's, it's disgusting. It's disgusting. But I think we get there by this slow and steady drip of some of it has been uh, the, what's the word I'm looking for? Dispensational theology. Now, the Bible uses the word dispensation, like dispensation of grace. So there's nothing wrong with the word dispensation. But the idea behind some of these folks, like, we're just going to, we've got these little segmented pieces of time and history. And now we're in one where we just kind of like, we have the church and now we're just going to, hold on tight and hope we don't get swept away until Jesus comes and rescues us out of here. If you have that kind of mentality, the kind of impact you're going to try and have in society and culture is next to nothing. And I think we need a church that is active in the culture and active in uh, the world. And when I say active, I mean, we don't let go of the primary purpose, which is to preach the gospel, which includes the wrath of God, the attitude of God towards sin, the attitude of the church towards sin, uh, what believers, how believers should feel about sin and calling out sin and having zero tolerance for sin, while also being loving and gracious and, and 
these kinds of things. It's, it's a delicate balance, but it's the balance that God wants us to have if we're going to be a real church and a real kingdom of God. So let's go through a couple of scriptures that I've been alluding to over the last few weeks and look at the at the Bible and how it talks about a couple of nations, give some examples, and I think it really paints a picture of this spiritual lead or uh, principality behind the physical governmental leaders in a specific nation. So we're going to go to Isaiah 14 for the first one. Um, I'm start with verse 3. I'm in the ESV. So Isaiah 14, 3 says, When the Lord has given you rest from your pain and turmoil and the hard service with which you were made to serve, you will take up this taunt against the king of Babylon. So we're talking about the king of Babylon. And it's interesting how God uses nations to discipline others. He uses situations like war and famine and disease and uh, even natural disasters and all kinds of things to uh, discipline his people, to carry out justice and judgments and all these various things. Just because something is natural or you see a war and you know nations rising up, it, it God is in control. And there are times he directs these things and, and pushes these things in a direction uh, to serve his will and his purpose. And so we see, for instance, Israel being uh, led away to Babylon because that was judgment of God. And we see Cyrus rising up to promote uh, the rebuilding of the temple. And uh, we have Daniel and um, his, uh, his protégés, right? And then we have Nehemiah and all these. These are things that God used nations that were not the nation of Israel to either discipline or to carry out his will. And so we see that all throughout the Bible. So this is the taunt we're taking up against the king of Babylon how the oppressor has ceased, the insolent fury ceased. Verse 5, the Lord has broken the staff of the wicked, the scepters of rulers that struck the peoples in wrath with unceasing blows, that ruled the nations in anger with unrelenting persecution. The whole earth is at rest and quiet. They break forth into singing. The cypresses rejoice at you, the cedars of Lebanon, saying, since you were laid low, no woodcutter comes up against us. Sheol beneath is stirred up to meet you. When you come, it rouses the shades to greet you, all who were leaders of the earth. It raises from their thrones all who were kings of the nations. All of them will answer and say to you, you too have become as weak as we. You have become like us. Your pomp is brought down to Sheol, the sound of your harps. Maggots are laid as a bed beneath you, and worms are your covers. So we're talking about the, the king of Babylon, talking about how you're, you're raised up. And, uh, and pride, and, and now it's time, you know, there's a, there's a lament taken against you. But then look in verse 12. Check this out. How you are fallen from heaven, O day star, son of dawn. How you are cut down to the ground, you who laid the nations low. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. But you are brought down to Sheol, to the far reaches of the pit. Those who see you will stare at you and ponder over you. Is this the man who made the earth tremble, who shook kingdoms, who made the world like a desert and overthrew its cities? 
<clears throat> who did not let his prisoners go home. All the kings of the nations lie in glory, each in his own tomb. But you are cast out, away from your grave, like a loathed branch, clothed with the slain, those pierced by the sword, who go down to the stones of the pit like a dead body trampled underfoot. You will not be joined with them in burial because you have destroyed your land, you have slain your people. May the offspring of evildoers never more be named. Prepare slaughter for his sons because of the guilt of their fathers, lest they rise and possess the earth and fill the face of the world with cities. So he is talking about this uh, this king of Babylon. He kind of goes into this. You've said these things in your heart about you know ascending and being like the Most High and all this, and he kind of goes back to you know this judgment against the king. Verse 22, I will rise up against them, declares the Lord of hosts, and will cut off from Babylon name and remnant, descendants and posterity, declares the Lord. And I will make it a possession of the hedgehog and pools of water, and I will sweep it with the broom of destruction, declares the Lord of hosts. Now, this is a very awesome picture of ultimately God is in control. He can use a powerful, unbelievably powerful nation like Babylon for a time, and then when he's ready, it's going to crumble. And that's exactly what happened. But you see, I think, a picture of what we've been looking at. There's spiritual forces behind the physical, earthly forces that we see in our society or in our culture. We talked about this from Ephesians and Colossians and how there are principalities and thrones and rulers of the darkness of this world and all that. Now let's go to Ezekiel 28, another example, I think, of this, maybe even more clear. And we'll look at that. So this is Ezekiel 28. This is another lengthy one. So we're just going to kind of read through it and uh, and then go. So this is Ezekiel 28, verse 1. The word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, say to the prince of Tyre, Thus says the Lord God, Because your heart is proud and you have said, I am a God, I sit in the seat of the gods in the heart of the seas, yet you are but a man and no God. So it's clearly talking about the prince, it says, of Tyre who is a man, even though he thinks he's a God. Uh, Though you make your heart like the heart of a God. Okay, so verse 3, you are indeed wiser than Daniel. No secret is hidden from you. By your wisdom and your understanding, you have made wealth for yourself and have gathered gold and silver into your treasuries. By your great wisdom and your trade, you have increased your wealth and your heart has become proud in your wealth. See, that's where the problem lies. He started getting proud. Verse 6, therefore, because of the pride, raising up, think you're a God, all this. Therefore, this says Lord God, Because you make your heart like the heart of a God, therefore, behold, I will bring foreigners upon you, the most ruthless of the nations, and they will draw their swords against the beauty of your wisdom and defile your splendor. So what's he doing? This is the the judgment of God, but he's bringing another nation. So from the outside, in the newsreel, it's going to look like a, a country attacking another country. No big deal, nothing to see here. But in the background, we understand, but this was of God. This was a judgment of God. He used another nation to discipline the nation of Tyre. So verse 8, they shall thrust you down into the pit. You shall die the death of the slain in the heart of the seas. Will you still say, I'm a God, <laughs> in the presence of those who kill you, though you are but a man and no God? In the hands of those who slay you, you shall die the death of the uncircumcised by the hand of foreigners. For I have spoken, declares the Lord God. I love that like sarcasm. Like you still going to be talking smack when this happens? Um, Then verse 11, this is where it gets interesting. Verse 11, moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, son of man, raise a lamentation over the king of Tyre 
and say to him, thus says the Lord God, you were the signet of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering, sardius, topaz, diamond, beryl, onyx, and jasper, sapphire, emerald, and carbuncle. And crafted in gold were your settings and your engravings. On the day that you were created, they were prepared. You were an anointed guardian cherub. I placed you. You were on the holy mountain of God. In the midst of the stones of fire you walked. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created till unrighteousness was found in you. In the abundance of your trade, you were filled with violence in your midst, and you sinned. So I cast you as a profane thing from the mountain of God, and I destroyed you, O guardian cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire. Your heart was proud because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. I cast you to the ground. I exposed you before kings to feast their eyes on you. By the multitude of your iniquities and their unrighteousness of your trade, you profaned your sanctuary. So I brought fire out from your midst. It consumed you, and I turned you to ashes on the earth in the sight of all who saw you. All who know you among the peoples are appalled at you. You have come to a dreadful end and shall be no more forever. Whoa, wait a minute. You have this king of Tyre and you have this prince of Tyre. The prince of Tyre is clearly this, this person who is exalting himself, raised up in pride. But the king of Tyre, it says, was there in the garden of God. Perfect in beauty. Right? An anointed guardian cherub. What? You were on the holy mountain of God. In the midst of the stones of fire you walked. That does not sound like some dude uh, that just happened to be the king, again, the king, the earthly king of Tyre. This very much sounds like what we've been talking about, where you have a spiritual force behind the ruling governmental uh, ruler. And... I, I think if you if you just take the Bible as a whole, even without these you know these examples, Ezekiel twenty eight, Isaiah fourteen, I think you see a very clear indication that you have two kingdoms, you have God right, you have the Father and Jesus Christ, you have that kingdom over here, then you have Satan over here, these two spiritual kingdoms. They work in the earth through mankind because mankind has been given dominion in the earth. Um, I believe that's Psalm 118. Um, I am looking for it right now. It is escaping me. But anyway, so the the Word of God clearly lets us know that we, we are the ones who were given dominion. You go back to the Garden of Eden, you go back to Genesis, and you, um, you look and you see who has dominion in the earth. Well, it's Adam, right? Uh, well, I, I can't give it up, right? I got I to gotta look at the... Uh, Psalm 115, I was, I was so close. <laughs> Psalm 115, let's go look. Um, but Adam, right, he has dominion. And then through sin, what did he do? He sort of relinquished it. He disobeys God. And uh, Jesus Christ is the, that last Adam, right? That, he is a, um, 
he is a type of Adam, but he has, what, restored this. He has restored the dominion. He, he said in Matthew 28, all authority in heaven and earth has is, is been given to me. Um, so this is Psalm 115, 16. It says, the heavens are the Lord's heavens, but the earth he has given to the children of man. Now, don't make any mistake. Of course, God owns everything, but he has given dominion and authority in the earth to men. And so if the kingdom of God is going to rule and reign and, and um, cover the earth and, and be uh, visible in the earth, it's going to happen because men are going to subject themselves and submit to the will of God, and they're going to take it forward. Likewise, if the kingdom of Satan is going to uh, have its way in the earth, guess who it's going to do that through? It's going to do that through men. It's going to do that through mankind because men, mankind... We have dominion in the earth. Now, the only problem is by nature, sort of naturally by birth, we lean towards Satan's kingdom. And it kind of stinks. You're like, man, <laughs> you know, with with the the only the only quote unquote advantage that Satan has is that men are born into a natural sort of fallen sinful state. And so we therefore, in our human nature, we tend toward uh, that kingdom. Of course, that that's it. If there's, if you can even call it an advantage, because of course Jesus Christ has won the victory. We submit to Him, His lordship, and He is Lord and reigns over all. He's defeated Satan. He's defeated uh, the powers of darkness. These things are completely under His feet and destroyed. And uh, when I say destroyed, again, they're they're active, but but He has authority in heaven and earth. He has authority over these things. And so, you know, God obviously reigns sovereign and supreme. Yahweh has not been dethroned or even, you know, now all of a sudden has a contemporary in Satan or anything like that. Uh, you see in both Isaiah and Ezekiel uh, just how much God thinks about these, these powers that think they can, they can rise up and be something like him. He's like, okay, I think I'll just, oh, before it was even, I, I, all I did was thought about it and it happened and you're, you're out of here. That's about how much you know heavy lifting he's got to do to overcome. But the battle is fought really in the human mind, the human heart. And that's where I think we need to understand as the church, we can we can pray Matthew six, your kingdom come, your will be done. We can pray that. We can seek first the kingdom of God. The Bible says, and his righteousness. and and that's that's sometimes the key that I think we forget. Oh, we want the kingdom of God. You know, and what we're thinking is I want to be healed. I want to be blessed. I want to be rich. I want to be, <laughs> but what we should be seeking is the kingdom of God and his righteousness. We want the reign of, of Yahweh through his son, Jesus Christ. We want that to happen in the earth. The only way it's going to happen because the earth has been given to the children of man, according to Psalm 115, 16, according to, Genesis, we can see the dominion is given to Adam and Eve. Uh, we need to partner, if I can use that word. We need to subject ourselves, submit ourselves to God, submit ourselves to uh, the glorious reign of Jesus Christ. And then we can, I think, start to see a little more of this, um, this rule and reign and kingship of Jesus Christ, even in the earth, right? Even in the earth. Uh, when we go to places like, I think it's what, Isaiah 66, 
um, even the end of the book of Revelation, we see some of these pictures and it's like people try to use that at, you know, the lion and the lamb, you know, will lay down together and they, they'll pull that out and say, well, that's talking about heaven. But then they'll, they kind of forget different pieces in there that look like, well, wait a minute, this, if this is heaven, why is you know this still happening or why is that still there? And I, I think we might go into some of those next, next time just to show that, you know, I, isn't, is it possible, right? Jesus said to pray this, your kingdom come, your will be done. Where? On the earth, right? We want it done in the earth, um, just like it is in heaven. So I, I think it might be good to go through some of the scriptures and just read through those and, and say, hey, is it possible for us to turn the tide, say, in America, in the West? Um, look, there have been kingdoms that have lasted far longer than the United States, for instance. There have been kingdoms, I mean, you've got the, 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 the kingdom of Babylon we just talked about. We've got the kingdom of like Rome or Greece um, and, and Athens and, and the, the Greco um, influence. We've got the, the British Empire that lasted, right, uh, for a very long time. And there was even the saying, right, the sun never sets on the British Empire because it was just like, you know, worldwide. But where is that today? I mean, he, people don't even know. People don't even hardly know. They don't, people, people don't even hardly know. Well, great English there. Uh, but people barely know that there was a British Empire. I'm sure in Britain they probably know it a lot more, but it's not. It's certainly not the world influence that it once was. This can be lost, and uh, I don't think there's any virtue in the United States being a world, you know, dominating force or anything, unless we are carrying the kingdom of Jesus Christ to the world. At that point, I think we have the benefit of Jesus uh, on our side. We, we, we have to get on his side for him to be on our side, though. It's not like we're going this direction and we, you know, we're, we're America, so Jesus is with us. Wrong! <laughs> right? Even Israel, who very clearly Yahweh was on the side of, uh, Yahweh used Babylon to discipline them. So we need to not get you know, too big for our britches. But I think we, as the church, the kingdom of God, need to start thinking more along these lines. Less about like this division, I go to church on Sunday, and then sort of Monday through Saturday, I'm doing all this other stuff, and then I go to church again, and yeah, I've got a great time, and I'm, I'm Christian, and I love Jesus, I'm down with Jesus, and all that, but then, then I live in this world that's just dominated by people and Satan and all this. I think if we start shifting our mindset to more of a, you know what, I want to see a real impact of the kingdom of God now, right here in the earth. And I know there's been different doctrines and things over t over the years, and some people are, you know, just hyper-focused on this, and maybe some people would even advocate violence to make this happen. None of that's scriptural. Um, but there are aspects of an understanding that we are a kingdom in the earth not just this sort of religious option to hopefully get you a heavenly retirement package. That is not what Jesus came for. Jesus came to spread the kingdom within the earth. And so I think it's very important for us to get that kind of mentality.
so that when we go to work, we're thinking kingdom. When we go to school, we're thinking kingdom. We go to the grocery store, we're thinking, I'm part of the kingdom of God. Let's spread the kingdom of God. Let's get this thing out there instead of just like, well, I hope maybe maybe there's somebody out there that might want to come to church with me on Sunday and maybe they'll have a little prayer and they'll feel good, feel Jesus. No, we need to be thinking about your kingdom come, your will be done in the earth, right? On the earth. And so that is where we need to go because the other alternative is just like we, we read, you've got Babylon with the, you know, the, the, the all the evil and, and nastiness that's going on there. You've got Tyre, all the terrible things going on there. And the spiritual forces over these places were principalities, powers, uh, demonic forces. And there was lots of evil going on regularly. Uh, and, and, and there's lots of evil going on regularly now in our society. And I think it can, it can get worse and we should, as the church, yes, pray and seek it in, in prayer and, 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 uh, you know, reaching people and that kind of thing. But we also should be thinking, wait a minute, I should be taking the kingdom to work with me. I should be impacting my society with this. I shouldn't be a silent Christian. What's a silent Christian? You know? People say things like, oh, you wear your Christianity on your sleeve or you're, 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 uh, no, we should not wear our Christianity on our sleeves. It should be the whole shirt, right? <laughs> it should be, there shouldn't be like a, a segmented portion of our life that's, that's religious and Christian. Our entire life, right? What did, what did Paul say? In him, we live and move and have our being. Uh, think about how many Christians you might know, or maybe you are guilty of this too. So anyway, I'm going to stop it right there. I'm rambling. We will talk about this more next time. Love y'all. Hope this has helped. God bless you. And we will catch you on the next episode.